0: The church at Ross Bridge is a bridge to belonging, believing, and becoming in Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy this message and visit our website at rossbridge.church. My highlight of 2019 so far was back in January, I got to travel with eight members of our church and my 10-year-old son, Henry, and we went to the Holy Land. We spent eight days in country traveling around, seeing the places like Bethlehem where Jesus was born, up and around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus lived for most of his life. And then, of course, in the city of Jerusalem, I realized in that trip with him. That it was so helpful to experience those things again through the eyes of a child, because it's easy for me as a person who studies the scripture a lot, has devoted most of my formal education to being prepared and understanding history and scripture to lose perspective on just how shocking and surprising the Easter story is really is. And while we were in country, it planted a seed in my mind that there are three significant surprises to the Easter tritium, as they say, the Holy Week. And it begins all the way back on Thursday night. Jesus would have reclined with his disciples next to what was set as a Passover meal. This is the holiest meal every year for Jews. They're remembering how God brought them out of slavery in Egypt, into the promised land. It's their version of the Easter story, so to speak. And at that meal, Jesus took bread and broke it, took the cup and said, this is my body and blood. That's when he began and instituted the Lord's Supper. But then, after they sang a hymn, Jesus and his disciples traveled west from the downtown Old City across the Kidron Valley to where our story begins in our first scripture reading. In Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to the disciples, stay here while I go and pray over there. When he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, he began to feel sad and anxious. And he said to them, I'm very sad. It's as if I'm dying. Stay here and keep alert with me. Then he went a short distance farther and fell on his face and prayed, my father. If it's possible. Take this cup of suffering away from me, however. Not what I want, but what you want. He came back to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, couldn't you stay alert one hour with me? Stay alert and pray so that you won't give in to temptation. The spirit is eager, but the flesh is weak. A second time he went away and prayed, my father, if it's not possible that this cup be taken away unless I drink it, then let it be what you want. Again, he came and found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy with sleep. But he left them again and went and prayed the same words for a third time. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Will you sleep and rest all night? Look, the time has come for the human one to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. Look, here comes my betrayer. I must have read that story ten dozen times throughout my life. The part about it that shocked me was not the prayer Jesus prayed. Father, I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, if I must, I will remain faithful. I knew that part. It's the part that I picked up on in the gospel of John, not Matthew, when he tells the same story using different words. In John 18, he says, After he said these things, Jesus went out with his disciples and crossed over to the other side of the Kidron Valley. He and his disciples entered a garden there. Judas, his betrayer, also knew, uh, knew the place because Jesus often gathered there with his disciples. Judas brought a company of soldiers and some guards from the chief priests and Pharisees. They came there carrying lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus knew everything that was about to happen to him. Now, he says, Judas said, Brought a company of soldiers. Look at this map of first century Jerusalem with me. The green arrow indicates where the temple would be, the center of worship. The red arrow down on the Bible. It's it's oriented with east being north here. So on the what would be the west side of Jerusalem, is Gethsemane down with the red arrow. That's where Jesus is gathered with his disciples. Well, decades before when the Romans had come down from Rome to take over the whole entire place, they built. A military barracks. It was where all their soldiers stayed. Called Antonia Fortress. It was located there on the north side of the temple. Now. Judas brought a company of soldiers. John says. Well the word he uses in the Greek for company. Doesn't mean half a dozen. The word is spiron. Which means a detachment of three to six hundred. And in addition to that, it says that he brought the personal police force of the chief priests and religious leaders. Think with me for a moment. Jesus is in the garden. Here's a picture of the garden. This is actually the garden of Gethsemane you can visit. Those are olive trees. Some of them are so old we think that they were actually there in the first century and Jesus might have prayed under them. In the background of this picture is a long wall. That's the edge of the temple mount. Here's my point. It's only four, five hundred yards maybe between the Garden of Gethsemane and the Temple Mount where the military barracks would be located and where the detachment of three to six hundred soldiers would have started making their way in the blackness of night, carrying clanging weapons, wearing heavy shoes, perhaps marching together. Instead carrying lanterns and torches across that valley. It became crystal clear to me. That while Jesus is praying. Father I don't want to do this. He might be able to see the lynch mob marching toward him. In the night. It is a profound heaviness that Jesus has upon him. In realizing that they are going to arrest him. And inevitably they will take his. Life. You know I'm used to trusting God. For things. God heal this person. God give this person a job. God be with this person. They're discouraged. God protect my children in this activity. I like to trust God. To change my circumstances. Not Jesus. Jesus doesn't trust his father. For a change in his circumstances. He trusts his father in the midst. Of. Of the circumstances. Even if they unfold with the worst possible outcome. The first surprise to me. Is Jesus unparalleled trust in his father. Not just to do what he wants his father to do. But regardless of what happens. I'm convinced. For those who believe in Easter hope and follow Jesus. We too can begin to live with unparalleled trust. I have a friend in Homewood who serves in a community health, mental health organization on their board. She serves there because one of her adult children has since high school struggled with mental illness, debilitating mental illness. And despite treatments, despite all the support, it continues to be a source of longing in their family that he will be made whole. She served on this board, she told me, with an elderly man in his 70s. He was known by everybody on that board and the people who knew him socially as being a person that just seemed to carry himself with a a serenity, a peace, a contentedness. He was diagnosed unexpectedly with stage four pancreatic cancer. My friend was speaking with him and said, can I ask you a question? Do people ever come up to you and say something like, you know, if you had enough faith, God would heal you? And he said, yes. She said, you know, they say that to me and our family. And it's so painful. Because I have prayed until I have calluses on my knees. I've prayed till I don't have any more tears in my eyes. And yet we continue to struggle through our family situation. What do you say to them? When they tell you, if you just had more faith, you could be healed. She said, he smiled and with his usual serenity said, well. I tell them that I try to have enough faith not to be. The first surprise of Easter is an unparalleled trust that God has us and our future and will do what is right in God's eyes. The second surprise to me comes a little bit later in the story. It's not Thursday night. It's now Friday. Jesus has spent the entire night in handcuffs. He's been interrogated and accused. There's been a kangaroo court convened and they've gotten a verdict. The verdict is death. And that's where our story begins in Luke chapter 23. They also led two other criminals to be executed with Jesus. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I think this is Jesus' greatest moment in his entire life, of being physically, emotionally, and socially vulnerable and isolated. And there's not a bit of me that would resent Jesus if he just said, Hey, Father, I'm your only son. Can you see what they're doing to your only son? Just give them what they deserve. They've earned it. But he doesn't do that. Every loving parent who feels the need to come to the rescue of their hurting child, Jesus stands in between his father. And those who were spitting and laughing in his face as they drive nails into his hands and feet, and says, "Father, they really don't know what they're doing. Forgive them." It is an unprecedented kindness. And Jesus, for those who follow him, can enable us to extend the same kind of radical kindness and forgiveness. From 1963 or 1960s to 1993. There was a terrible racial injustice in the country of South Africa. The adults in the room may remember that it's called apartheid. It was the systematic racial segregation of non-white South Africans. 3.5 million people that were torn from their homes and forced to live in districts divided by racial segregation. During that time, there was terrible violence done. Neighbor to neighbor. Sometimes some of the black South Africans being hired by white South Africans in authority to enact vengeance and justice or injustice and violence upon their neighbors. At the end of the apartheid, the country, the political leaders were left with a question. How will we help our country to heal? Because it seems like at any minute there could be a civil war that might break out between the two different sides that were represented. So they called in a very unlikely person. They called in a preacher. A preacher. Seriously, Desmond Tutu, the archbishop and in the Anglican communion, the Church of England depicted here in the purple cassock with the cross around his neck, he prayed, he studied the issue and he proposed an idea, the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which had two basic principles. get, Get this. Every person who had committed a wrong, if they would sit in a witness chair and they would fully and completely confess everything they'd done wrong, the first principle, there would be a second. There would be complete and absolute forgiveness of their crimes. There would be no legal retribution. Full confession equals full exoneration. One of the stories that began to emerge among dozens of them, you can YouTube it and hear the stories, some of the trials yourself. They are absolutely heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. There was a mother who had lost her only son to the violence of apartheid. He had been drugged from his home into the street and shot like a dog to die in the street. When the man who was guilty of her son's murder was put into the witness chair, she was invited as a representative from the family to sit in the courtroom galley and to hear him fully confess that he had taken the life of her only son. The man had uh, a sense of regret. He shed tears as he told his shameful acts. At the end of that. The judge and moderator. us offered for the family to, to stand. And to address. To say anything that they would like. And the victim's mother stood up. She said let me see him. She was blind. Assistants in the courtroom. Took her from the galley. Led her around. Led the witness out of the stand. And she placed her hands. Upon the man's face. She said you have killed my son. But my faith tells me that I must forgive you. So I forgive you. But because you have taken my son. You must now become my son. And the man passed out on the floor. It is an unprecedented kindness. When we are given grace from Jesus in exchange. For the violence and disobedience that we justly deserve. The third surprise of Easter weekend comes in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 11. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb, bringing the fragrant spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They didn't know what to make of this. Suddenly, two men were standing beside them in gleaming bright clothing. The women were frightened and bowed their faces toward the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He isn't here, but has been raised. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the human one must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. When they returned from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Their words struck the apostles as nonsense, and they didn't believe the women. The males, the men, who had scattered into the wind on Thursday night, still don't have the courage to make their faces known in public. And it's the women that go to the tomb, the women who are the first carriers and preachers of the gospel news of the resurrection from the dead, take it back to the men who are in hiding, And one translation says, the men, it seemed to them that it was an idle tale. In one way, I really can't blame them. I mean, we live in a world where death seems to have the final say. It's the heaviest thing that we have to face. And when one of our loved ones, their life ends, we are stuck with even as people of faith saying, I wonder if I will see them again. It seems like nonsense, says the gospel. Well, in the evening of that day, Jesus comes to the disciples. And when he shows up, he shares and proves the third surprise, which is an incomprehensible hope. An incomprehensible hope. So it was the last day of our trip to Israel in Jerusalem, the last day in Jerusalem. And we were at the top of the Mount of Olives, depicted here, me and Henry. And we were going to be walking down the Mount of Olives the same way that Jesus would have walked and ridden the donkey on Palm Sunday into the city. There's a part about Jerusalem here that surprises a lot of people for the first time. Almost the entire hillside of the Mount of Olives is covered with a sea of stone tombs. Thousands of them. The Jews believe from an Old Testament prophecy that when the Messiah comes, that those who were there will be raised from the dead and will walk with the Messiah into the old city of Jerusalem together. And so people request even to this day to be buried there. And we were walking down the Mount of Olives and we would look over and it was almost as far as you could see to the horizon. Thousands and thousands of graves. There were a couple of funerals taking place while we were there. There were loved ones there to visit grave sites of people who had gone before and As we're walking down the Mount of Olives, my son looks at me and says, that is so creepy. (laughs) He's like, think about that. All those bodies just sitting out there on the side of that hill. I said, yeah, it is kind of creepy. We concluded our day, got on our bus, and as we were driving around the old city, making our way back to our hotel, he was a little bit quiet, just kind of looking out the window, and he spoke up and said, Dad, so sometimes people who pray for God to save them They die, right? Like if they get sick, the disease, or if they're in danger or something bad happens, like people who pray not to die, I mean, they die. I said, yeah, that's right. He said, so God doesn't always answer our prayers. So that's right. God doesn't always answer the prayers the way that we would like for God to answer them. But since you're a preacher's kid, you're going to get a lot longer explanation than that. (laughs) Son, that is why That is why the most important thing that we believe. A non-negotiable. Is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And that he shows back up and he shares that hope with his disciples. So we believe that the worst thing, death, is never the last thing. Ever. We are people of hope for that reason. He just kind of nodded his head. A couple hours later, we were back at the hotel and it was before dinner time and we were making our way down to have a bottled Coke before we went to try to find something to eat in Middle Middle Eastern cuisine, which was not his favorite. And while we were sitting there with our bottled Cokes, um, he said, you know, I was thinking about that cemetery today. Um, I was thinking about how creepy it is and how sad it is. But I was thinking about what you said earlier. Maybe it's not so sad because it's full of dead bodies. Maybe it's sad because death knows that it doesn't have any power anymore. And the profundity of that realization in his decade-old walk with God is the anchor of why we are celebrating this message today. Jesus Christ, in three surprises, demonstrates an unparalleled trust An unprecedented kindness. And that incomprehensible hope. That for Christians. Life is always at the end of our story. And I want to encourage you. With words of Jesus as we conclude. From John chapter 11. When his close friend Lazarus. Is in the tomb. And Martha his sister. Comes to Jesus and Jesus says to her. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me. Will live even though they die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die and he asks Martha do you believe this friends that question echoes across the corridor of centuries to every person seated here today whether you've identified as a Christian for 12 decades or whether you're here today out of a sense of obligation and you have no interest the question persists do you believe this is true God, um, my words fail to capture the glory and the hope of the Easter message. But I hope that when our words fail, that your Holy Spirit would speak. And it would be the voice of your spirit that speaks to hearts today. For people who want to live a different kind of life. For people who are searching for something that is meaningful. That is purposeful, that is hope-filled. I pray, God, for those who've never decided that they want to try to do that, to trust in Christ, That they will know that that is possible. And for the others here who have trusted in Christ, but are still longing for the unprecedented trust and unparalleled kindness and comprehensible, they want the fullness, pour out your spirit upon all of us here today. I ask these things in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord. The Church at Ross Bridge is located in Birmingham, Alabama and helps people find abundant life in Jesus Christ.